Good afternoon and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support and the speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity and if you are viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the links icon at the bottom of the screen. Also, if you have a question and you're viewing online, you can ask it through the Q&A chat bubble and we will ask it at the end of the um, activity. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Ryan Berry. Dr. Berry completed his undergraduate uh, training at Utah State University, where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and a Bachelor of Arts in Spanish. He then attended the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where he earned his PhD in Cellular Biology, studying circadian rhythms and heart failure, as well as his MD through their medical scientist training program. He is currently an internal medicine resident here at NGHS at the end of his PGY3 year. Following completion of his residency, in a few months, he plans to stay in the area with his wife and three daughters to practice primary care. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Berry. Hello, everyone. So today I'm going to be talking about blood pressure management in low-risk adults. So first, a case. 45-year-old male, non-smoker with no past medical history, presents in clinic for a routine checkup. Blood pressure is 135 over 89, heart rate 72, vitals are otherwise normal, total cholesterol 200, um, HDL 45, and a 10-year calculated ASCVD risk of 4.7%. So not a super high-risk individual. What, what do you do with, with this blood pressure? So the current guidelines um, are that you focus on lifestyle management with weight loss, optimizing diet, increasing exercise, and then you follow up and repeat the blood pressure measurement in three to six months. Six months go by and patient comes back and blood pressure is 132 over 81. Now what? Well, this is where we run out of runway um, because we don't have any guidelines of what to do after this point. Um, despite this being a very common situation that we find ourselves in as primary care providers. So just a quick outline of what I'll go over today. So I'll do a quick review of what our current guidelines are as far as blood pressure, ranges, and management. We'll define what our target population is, um, and I'll introduce um, a new uh, blood pressure management guideline statement. And we'll talk about why there's scarcity of data for this population. Um, we'll go over current data um, that informs us in this area and the data that the um, American Heart Association used uh, as a basis for their updated recommendations. We'll go over the new recommendations, highlight some areas for future research, uh, and then uh, we'll conclude. So. The American 
uh, ACC AHA blood pressure guidelines that were published in 2017 um, define blood pressure categories as first, normal blood pressure is less than 120 over 80. Elevated blood pressure uh, is systolic blood pressure between 120 and 129, and then diastolic less than 80. Stage one hypertension is considered systolic blood pressure between 130 and 139 or diastolic blood pressure between 80 and 89. Stage two hypertension is defined as blood pressure greater than 140 or diastolic blood pressure greater than 90 millimeters of mercury. So the recommendations with regards to elevated blood pressure is lifestyle management. Um, stage one hypertension, uh, they recommend lifestyle management um, unless the patient already has a history of stroke, myocardial infarction, or if they have, if they're high risk based upon having diabetes, CKD, or uh, an ASCVD risk score greater than 10%. Otherwise, it's all focused on lifestyle management. Um, you recheck the blood pressure in three to six months, and that's kind of the end of it. As far as stage two hypertension, um, you go to medication management along with lifestyle management, um, and then using one, two, uh, as, as many uh, pharmacologic uh, treatments as, as needed to get the patient within the range, within the goal of less than uh, 130 over 80. So our gap in, in our knowledge or in our recommendations are patients that have stage one hypertension who also have a low risk for cardiovascular disease as evidenced by 10-year ASCVD risk score less than 10% who have not responded to six months of lifestyle management interventions. So the AHA um, published a, a statement um, to fill in this gap. And um, we'll go into that. So the addition to the guidelines made by this statement are that patients with stage one hypertension and ASCVD risk score less than 10% should be managed with lifestyle modifications first with blood pressure recheck in three to six months. Um, if they're not achieving the blood pressure goal of less than 130 over 80 after six months, then you should consider adding a first-line uh, blood pressure medication. Special consideration um, should be given for starting medications earlier in patients with family history, a premature cardiovascular disease, hypertension and pregnancy, or personal history of premature birth. And then the ASCVD risk should be reassessed every four to six years if it's less than 10%. So why all the fuss about this population? It seems like they're pretty low risk. You know, there wasn't, there weren't guidelines initially, so is, is this really necessary? Um, and yes, it is, because individuals that fall in this category, so individuals with hypertension have higher lifetime risk for cardiovascular disease and have cardiovascular disease onset five years earlier than normal tensive individuals. 
In middle-aged adults, an increase in systolic blood pressure of 20 millimeters of mercury is associated with a doubling of the rate of death from stroke, ischemic heart disease, and other vascular causes. Even in patients with, with within target blood pressure or systolic blood pressure between 90 and 129 millimeters of mercury and have a low ASCVD risk score, they have shown a progressive stepwise increase in the coronary calcium and traditional coronary cardiovascular disease risk factors and incident cardiovascular disease events, the higher their blood pressure goes, even within that range. And then among middle-aged adults, 35 to 59 years of age, um, this was a study done in China, uh, these patients with stage one hypertension, 65 of them progressed to stage two within 15 years. Also, more than 26% of all the cardiovascular, uh, cardiovascular disease deaths and 13% of all deaths in this population were attributed to stage one hypertension. Um, so stage one hypertension is, is, is nothing to uh, scoff at, and um, hence the, the need to update and, and add on to these recommendations. So now we'll go, why, why isn't there more data for this population? It seems like it's important, but why do we not have more information? Well, there's a lot of practical uh, difficulties in this, and because one of them is because the people are typically young, um, and, and it's typically a long time before they have their first cardiovascular disease event. And just the, the prevalence or the incidence of cardiovascular disease in these populations is low. And so in order to appropriately power a study to look for differences in this sort of a population, the study would have to include thousands and thousands of individuals, and you'd have to follow them for several decades. And so just the financial and logistical um, uh, barriers to doing that are very great, and it would cost uh, an incredible amount of money to be able to do that effectively. Um, and so it's not likely that we're going to get a lot of good studies like this because of those practical um, and financial barriers. So when the AHA was starting to look at how they would inform these guidelines, um, it's always good to look and see what guidelines exist for other populations. So they looked at what pediatric guidelines say. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, their clinical practice guideline, it is based on evidence of target organ damage. So just showing changes to organs um, that aren't necessarily uh, not events per se. So increase of um, left ventricular heart um, size or uh, thickness of the carotid intima, things like that are tar target organ damage um, that, that they're looking at. And so what they found is that um, this target organ damage and evidence that blood pressure levels at higher range 
and adolescents tend to increase progressively, leading to hypertension in early adulthood. So if they start early, then it just gets worse as they age. And so that's part of it. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, adopted uh, the definitions for, for blood pressure ranges, the same ones as um, the AHA gave and, and ACC gave in 2017. Um, and so their definition for stage one hypertension is the same. Um, and adolescents greater than 13 years old and their target blood pressure is less than 130 over 80. So their recommendation is that if lifestyle modification fails after six months, that you should use pharmacologic treatment. Um, and they also recommend getting a baseline echo before starting any medications in the pediatric population. So, um, so then delve into again, where, where do the pediatric guidelines come from and what information can we use for um, for adult guidelines. Um, sorry. Next, um, I want to go into kind of what they found after implementing the pediatric, these pediatric guidelines. What, what information have they gleaned since that time? So just with the shifting of the, of the blood pressure ranges and the definitions, it naturally resulted in a higher prevalence of pediatric hypertension and elevated blood pressure compared to previous guidelines. Um, that was expected. So um, they studied a, a pediatric cohort called the Bogalusa cohort. They found that the guidelines improved the prediction of subsequent hypertension and left ventricular hypertrophy in young adulthood. Um, and then Yang et al. reported a meta-analysis of 12 cohort studies um, of elevated blood pressure in childhood and adolescence and intermediate markers or hard outcomes in adulthood, and they found that blood pressure defined as greater than 120 over 80 or greater than the 90th percentile, um, that's how they defined that. And they found that blood pressure elevation in childhood was associated with arterial stiffness in adulthood, arterial intima media thickness, and LVH, or left ventricular hypertrophy. And so even having mildly elevated blood pressure um, in a pediatric um, cohort leads to, to these uh, target organ damage, uh, I guess, endpoints. Um, there's a study called the Cardia study um, that, and this is moving on to adults, um, that black and white men and women with elevated blood pressure or stage one hypertension had cardiovascular disease event rates that were 70% higher than those with normal blood pressure. Um, the participants with systolic blood pressure less than 110 and diastolic less than 70 when they were 18 to 30 years of age, um, among that group, 64% of black adults, 30% of white adults, developed hypertension by 55 years of age. Um, so even with normal tension, there's still this predilection to progress and develop hypertension. So it's not likely that things are going to go backwards. Um, they also show that health behaviors, including lower BMI, high adherence to the DASH-style dash diet were associated with a lower risk for hypertension 
over 30 years of follow-up. The MESA study, um, so they defined hypertension as systolic blood pressure greater than 140, diastolic greater than 90, or the use of antihypertension medication. So they showed an estimated 40-year cumulative incidence of hypertension from 45 to 85 years was 93% in black individuals, 92% in Hispanic, 86% in white, and 84% in Chinese participants. So basically, if you're over 45 and, um, and you develop, you have elevated blood pressure, it's just going to get worse as you age, um, which is, again, something that uh, we can intuitively observe, but it's nice to have the evidence back it up. The InterSALT study, um, which is an investigation conduct conducted among 52 populations from 32 countries and five continents. Um, in four of these populations, at, in specifically the Yanomomo and Zingu Indians of Brazil and rural populations in Ken Kenya and Papua New Guinea, um, they didn't have any increase in systolic or diastolic blood pressure between ages of 20 and 59 years of, uh, of age. And so some populations, they, they don't show this trend, steadily trending upward of blood pressure. Um, and these populations are clearly different from the population that, populations that we have here in the United States. Um, but those differences are, are, can be informative. Um, and it shows that, that there's something that's going on in our population. So looking at target organ damage. So the CARDIA study cohort, they identified five distinct mid blood pressure um, trajectories or the systolic plus the diastolic divided by two um, compared with the lowest trajectory, the groups um, had a higher odds ratio for development of coronary artery disease. Um, the two higher groups had a, a higher odds ratio of developing coronary artery disease. Um, sorry, coronary artery calci calcification score greater than 100. Um, the adjusted odds ratio for those two higher groups were 2.8 with a significant confidence interval and 3.7 respectively. Um, and then when they based these trajectories just off systolic blood pressure alone, they found similar things. So, um, yes. The TROPHY study, so the trial of preventing hypertension, there were 772 adults, systolic blood pressure between 130 and 139 or diastolic blood pressure of 85 to 89. They were randomized to placebo or candesartan for two years. After two years, all treatments were stopped and patients were followed for two more years. Um, and then after the second two years, hypertension developed in 63% of the placebo versus 53% in the patients who had received candesartan for two years. So. You're probably thinking, well, yeah, of course, Dr. Barry, you stop the treatment, you're going to see, uh, you know, a rebound in hypertension. Um, but the thing that it does show is that discontinuing needed anti-hypertension medications can actually result in 
um, an accelerated um, catch-up, essentially. But those two years of treatment of hypertension did result in decreased um, decrease hypertension development in that population during the subsequent two years. So those two years did make a difference. And their number needed to treat, or the number of individuals that would need to be treated for two years with antihypertension medicine to prevent one person from developing hypertension is only four. And so if you're aware of like our numbers for, number needed to treat for um, using, using statins and stuff like that, they're much higher than this. So this, this is a significant um, finding. The PREVER prevention trial, um, the population was adults with systolic blood pressure between 120 and 139, or diastolic blood pressure between 80 and 89 after three months of lifestyle intervention. So they'd already failed three months of lifestyle intervention. Um, this categorizes our elevated and stage one hypertension population. Um, they were randomized to placebo or receiving chlorthalidone or amiloride. Um, and then over two visits, 11.7% uh, in the treatment group versus 19.5% in the placebo groups developed systolic blood pressure greater than 140 or diastolic blood pressure greater than 190. So just over the course of two visits. Um, and the treatment group also had reductions in EKG measures of left ventricular mass. So even just over the course of two patient visits, um, treating or not treating is, is showing a difference. So the new guidelines are that patients with stage one hypertension and ASCVD risk score less than 10%, they should be managed with lifestyle modifications first. Recheck blood pressure in three to six months. If they're still not achieving the goal, after six months of, of lifestyle intervention, then consider adding a first-line blood pressure medicine. Again, special consideration should be given for starting medications in patients with family history of premature cardiovascular disease, hypertension in pregnancy, or a personal history of premature birth. Um, and then you reassess the ASCVD risk every four to six years um, if it's less than 10%. So future research um, directions, really because the, the information, the data in this population is fairly limited. Um, pursuing alternative trial designs with primary outcomes being blood pressure related as far as like progression of blood pressure um, uh, to different stages of, of elevated blood pressure or hypertension, um, or cumulative exposure to blood pressure or intermediate markers of cardiovascular disease or progression to target organ damage would be beneficial. Um, these could potentially reduce the costs of such trials um, and reduce the, the length of time um, that they need to be extended out over um, so that we can inform Get, our, get more information on, um, on this population. And then you can, uh, we could have studies that replicate the designs in the tro trophy and prever prevention trials, um, but with increased power um, to evaluate cardiac outcomes such as left ventricular mass, cardiac function, 
um, incidence or progression of coronary calcium scores and vascular endpoints such as cardiac, carotid intima thickness and reductions in ABI. Um, you could also use ambulatory blood pressure measures as, as um, outcomes. And um, I guess guidance and stuff on future trials, they should include a diverse population um, with capacity to assess outcomes across uh, a range of individuals 20 to 50 years, including major racial ethnic groups as well as women, including those with history of hypertension during pregnancy, um, just so that we're informing all of these um, particular groups. And then, I guess, for general generalizability of, of the outcomes. Um, and then they also recommend exploring novel methods of study design and follow-up, including possibly uploading information into a national cloud-based network, which could facilitate doing a longer-term study, um, especially with a lot of the people in this age range being more tech-savvy and comfortable with using cloud-based um, cloud uh, repositories and, and systems. Um, these are some of the articles that I referenced. Um, and then are there any questions or comments? Thank you, Dr. Barry. Do we have any questions in the audience or comments? Thanks, Dr. Berry. That's a very relevant outpatient internal medicine topic. Uh, here in the hospital, we often see a range that exceeds that stage one, stage two. We might just disregard it because there's a lot of other acute factors going on. It's not representative of what their true blood pressure measurements are. Uh, so two questions for you is, uh, is there an ideal way to measure blood pressure to accurately stage someone? What would you recommend? And then you alluded to a rebound effect uh, of developing hypertension, but I'm wondering what would be your process for discontinuing or down titrating a hypertensive regimen for someone who is, say, doing well with the lifestyle management? How would you approach that? Um, okay, so the first question was, what's the ideal way of measuring a blood pressure to be able to stage somebody? Um, so the current best practices are to have somebody sitting down in a chair um, with their feet, their legs uncrossed and their feet uncrossed and planted on the ground. Um, and then with the, the cuff to ideally be um, on, on the arm at the level of the heart, the arm should be resting on something um, and, and then the patient should have been sitting there resting for five minutes before you check the blood pressure. So obviously in, in most ambulatory clinics, this very rarely happens, at least not as initial blood pressure management uh, measurement. The patient's usually called back. They've been sitting in the uh, waiting room and they come back and they have to walk back to the exam room. They sit down, they get their blood pressure checked um, right away and then, you know, that as part of their um, uh, assessment and um, getting the patient ready. 
So a lot of times in clinic, we have to then go back and check the blood pressure again at the end of the patient visit um, to see if it really is elevated, if, it's, if it was initially read as being elevated. Um, frequently, the blood pressure comes down to within a target range to the point where, where they would, um, where they would only be classified as elevated blood pressure, um, or they drop down um, a couple of stages depending on the individual. Um, and so we frequently have to spend time rechecking blood pressure. Um, and then the second question is, um, can you ask me the second question again? Uh, how do you go about de-escalating antihypertensive okay. treatment for someone who's improving their lifestyle? So, in someone who, so in someone who is um, who has been started on blood pressure medications, and you know, say they've lost a lot of weight now, um, and and you're talking about de-escalating. Um, so the the strategy that that I use and that I have. Um, that I have my, my mentors have used is that uh, depending on how many blood pressure medicines they're on, you would just slowly titrate them down um, to see where their blood pressure ends up. And so if they're on if they're on one medicine and their blood pressure is now like 110 because um, they've lost weight, then you could de-escalate that and see where their blood pressure floats up to, um, and uh, and just kind of do it slowly like that, rather than stopping things uh, all at once. Um, I've had a couple of patients who've lost a lot of weight, and you know we've de-escalated and actually discontinued blood pressure medicines um, successfully without um, without having issues, just because we did it slowly. And so would they be able to stay off the blood pressure medicine, or is it something you have to check six months, a You year? still have to, I mean, you still have to recheck. Um, so one of my patients, um, we were able to get him all the way off, and another one, we got him down, so he was just on a very low dose of one medicine um, to keep his blood pressure within the target range. Um, but it's something you have to continue to follow up on just because their maintenance of that those lifestyle changes could change and and that would obviously um, change their risk. Excellent. Billy, did we have any online questions? No online questions. Any other in the audience? Comments? Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Barry. Great job. All right. Thank you.